the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Luke 21. Listen for the word of the Lord. When some were speaking about the temple and how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, it will all be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the signs that all this is taking place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he. The time is near, but don't go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be afraid, for these things must take place first, but the end will not be immediately. And then he said to them, nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you and hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. But this will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. I'll give you the words and the wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents and siblings, relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. And by your endurance, you will gain your soul's this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Just a couple of years ago, uh, Dr. Borders introduced me to an author and speaker. His name is Father Greg Boyle. I, I want to engage some of his books. They're, they're in a stack of things I need to read about this tall right now. But, but I came across an excerpt from Tattoos of the Heart. Father Boyle leads a, a community in his church uh, he leads a church, but a community with the marginalized in his own uh, zip code. And he tells uh, about a time when his church became a homeless shelter for somewhere around 50 up to 100 uh, men on Saturday nights. And every Sunday morning, well, the, the congregation could tell by the smell that they'd hosted the homeless community again. And I know it happens in other churches, not here, but as it happens from time to time, this caused, you know, some conversations around the church. Some were disgruntled. Some were even disgusted that a church could be so unkempt for Sunday morning. So like a good pastor, Father Greg raises the issue and calls the question, and one Sunday morning, he opens up his sermon like this. Well, folks, what does the church smell like today? People were mortified. They started looking at their shoes, <laughs> avoiding eye contact, their phones came out. The hymnal all of a sudden became this wonderful reading object in front of them. Oh, come on now, Father Greg says. What's the church smell like? One elderly gentleman in the back who cared not what others thought about him said, it smells like feet. <laughs> Excellent, Father Greg says. And why does it smell like feet? Another woman on the other side said, because many homeless men, they slept here last night. Well, why do we let something like that happen, says Father Greg? It's what we've committed to do, says another. Well, why would we commit to do that, Father Greg asked. It's what Jesus would do. Well then, 
What's the church smell like now? And in a loud silence, a man stands up from the back and bellows out, it smells like commitment. Suddenly, the people rose to their feet and cheered. Father Greg might have been standing in the pulpit that day, thinking he was going to preach a sermon, but the congregation became the preachers, right? The congregation had found their sermon. It's what we have committed to do because it's what Jesus would do. Whatever the it is, that's your sermon. Hope-inspired ministries is what Jesus would do. It's what they've committed to do. So every single day on the front lines of this city, John and his team are preaching. And we get to preach alongside hope-inspired when we give we hold ourselves in common through our financial resources. You say, well, preacher, we've got a big old budget. You know, it's over $4 million. It's like it was back before COVID. I, I know. But I assure you that, that your water and mine, it touches that fish and makes a difference in our community. What's your sermon? You have one, you know. What's your one sermon? What's the one sermon that you would preach in life's most defining moments when the winds howl and the seas foam and when the light seems like it's dimming, we all need one. Preachers have one, you know, that go-to sermon, that back pocket sermon. Methodist preachers are told to always be ready to preach, pray, and die. <laughs> so should the people called Methodists be ready to preach and to pray and to die to ourselves so that hope may continue to inspire. What's your because it's what Jesus would do sermon? It's a strange gospel lesson for today, especially during a stewardship series. The disciples come into the temple and they're gazing at all of the beautiful things and the dedicatory accoutrements. And without missing a beat, Jesus says, you better soak it up while you can because there will be a day when it's all going to crumble down. And that's hard to hear in a space like this, isn't it? You have to keep in mind that by the time Luke wrote this gospel, it's about 15 years after Jesus' prediction came true. There was no temple. It burned to the ground by Rome. All of life's materials that we hold so dearly and to which we cling so tightly are, are fleeting. Everything that we see, everything that's, that's tangible, everything that's Hours we call our possessions, but that which actually possesses us. All the stuff that we have, even our own life, is but a mist, as Paul says. Jesus goes on to say, and so with all that, when you hear of wars, when nations are rising up and there's insurrections, don't be afraid. I'm telling you now that there's always going to be fighting. There will be famine. There will be plagues. There will be terror. There will be earthquakes. There will be natural disasters. You will be arrested and, and persecuted and people will turn their backs on you. And when all of those things appear to be crumbling down around you, that's the chance to step up, to testify to hope, to testify to the power of Christ 
crucified, buried, and raised to new life. That's your because it's what Jesus would do sermon. When you see all of these signs of chaos and tumults and doubt and we're scratching our heads trying to figure out which voices to listen to, that's the time to step in and step up and say, hope is what the world needs. All these other voices and all these other places where life seems crumbling, they're going to be there. But the one thing that, that will last is, is hope. It's the bedrock of who we are. It's hope. It's the foundation of our faith that death does not get the final word. Jesus is teaching His followers when the world bears down and the tension in life is as tight as a banjo string and when jobs are lost and portfolios all over the place and marriages in trouble and the political pendulum swinging and red precincts become blue and blue precincts become red and joy seems to be dimming. In that moment, it is the opportunity to testify and to witness and to stand and to hope and to hope, to actively hope by making a difference in lives like the stories you've just heard. All this apocalyptic talk in Jesus' language and all the chaos in the world, it's not a time for gloom and doom. It's a call to action. It's a call to hope. It's time for Christians to rise up and to witness to God's goodness, it's time to stand in the middle of all of the storms and say, hey, we have the corner market on hope. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Whether you realize it or not, you have that sermon within you. I see it and I hear it all the time. I do. Two of our youth stood in this pulpit two weeks ago and they testified to hope. They made themselves available in Costa Rica to what God might be doing, and they thought they were going to bless others, and they ended up having their own lives blessed. And John has testified about hope-inspired ministries. It's a real-time example of the kingdom of God breaking into this world. But I hear your sermon. I've heard it. I've heard it when you invite someone to church because you've run into someone at work, and she says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy enough to come in to to God's house. And I've heard your sermon. You said, none of us are. Let's walk together. I, I've heard you preach your, your sermon, your one sermon around the Wednesday night supper tables when you're breaking bread and telling stories and, and feasting and, and all the children are running around and they're trip hazards, but it's okay because it's just organized holy chaos in the fellowship hall on Wednesday nights and God is honored. I've heard you preach your sermon when you prepare hundreds of meals each and every month for, for um, Mercy House and Meals on Wheels and when we partner with Metropolitan and you share stories together about how this food will be hope in a chaotic world. I've heard you preach your sermon this week. I've read about it in tributes on social media to saints like Gail Horner whose life was a living witness to joy and beauty and strength and hope. And what you've preached, choir, you especially, what you have preached 
this week is that no one walks through life alone, ever. Not here, not at this church. And the way that you're surrounding Jack and family is absolutely gospel. I hear you preach your sermon when you say after meetings and after Bible studies and you just notice someone is going through something in life and you go and sit by them. I hear you preach it in your silence when words just, they just won't come. You have a sermon if you preach it. Last Thursday, my ministry coach was in town, uh, Todd Bolsinger. He's, uh, he teaches at Fuller Seminary and he runs the A.C. Sloan Leadership Institute. And uh, Todd had, had never been to Montgomery. He had a, an event in Birmingham Wednesday. He drove down to Selma, and then he wanted to, you know, make the whole triangle there by coming to Montgomery and, and touring Dexter and EJI, the museum and, and the memorial. And so after my Wednesday night meeting, I drove downtown and met with Todd for our final session together. And we finished our meal, and we walked to, to the fountain over there. It's so beautifully lit up. If you haven't been down there at nighttime, it is it's fantastic. And uh, we were just sitting there thinking about the Rosa Parks statue that he had read about, and we made it a few steps up Dexter Avenue, and we're just really mesmerized by the beauty of the lights and just thinking about the history of, of Montgomery. And then, and then I saw from my left, I saw, I saw someone start coming from the sidewalk out of the shadows over our way. And when, when he arrived about as far as Jason and I are from one another, he turned his head sideways. He said, Pastor? I said, Yes. I recognized him as he, as he came on over. He said his name to me. He said, you remember, I, I, I used to come to, to your church, and I would go to that Sunday school class in the corner down there, you know, the one that, that has all the good food. I said, yeah, I know the one, the Peggy McKinney Forrester class. I know exactly which class you're talking about down there. I said, where have you been? He said, well, I've been in prison. And he told me why. And I said, well, tell me more. What are your next steps? He said, well, first of all, I just want you to know that we watched your worship service every Sunday from prison. I said, you did? <laughs> he said, yeah, y'all wore those black robes and those things around your neck. You know, look funny. I said, yeah, those things. And he said, You've got the wonderful choir, and they walk in, and they got the blue. I mean, he just had it to a T. All the children laughing. I thought that Todd and I were going to have to drag our jaws back to our car, and I, it was just an incredible moment to realize the witness and the reach that we have. And I told Todd that those type encounters happen a lot because our church has invested in TV ministry and technology and because we believe in hope for all people. And so I, I'm just looking at a little red dot and the camera that's just in the back underneath the balcony right now. And, and in this moment, I, I assume I'm speaking to some of those guys who were in prison, and I, I want to tell you on behalf of all of us here that God loves you. Don't give up on hope. Don't give up on faith. There's people like John Bowman who can help you. God loves you, and so does the church. The sermons you preach attest to God's faithfulness despite all the, the chaos and the storms and whatever seems to be crumbling around us. Your sermons sound like Jesus. Your sermons smell like 
commitment, or they should, or else maybe we're preaching the wrong gospel, but you have a sermon. There's always something that the world is going to tell us is too hard and other ways we can spend our money and there's so many uncertainties and obstacles that we should just wait and see how, you know, we testify in those moments because we've read the end of the book. We know how the story ends. The strife is over. The victory is won. And, and here's the difference in, in God's victory and the world's victory. The world will tell us that in victory, there's winners and losers. Not in God's kingdom. If you want to know where signs of God's kingdom are, as you think about your sermon, God's kingdom, God's victory, it's when sinners become saints. It's when enemies become friends. It's when warriors become worshipers. It's when complacency gives way to praying. It's when jealousy and envy and strife turn to generosity. That's our sermon. That's how we stand in the middle of all of life's defining moments to preach that because Jesus said it's what to do sermon. So don't miss it. Don't miss it with everything I know that we've brought to worship with us today. Don't, don't miss the chance to testify to hope, to let it inspire you and then to use it to inspire others. Tell someone this day, God is, God is with us. God has us. God will not give up on the church. What's your sermon? Does it smell like commitment? I pray that it does. I pray that I can get a witness to that this year. Glory to God. Amen.